This episode of the YVR Screen Scene Podcast is brought to you by Fish Flight Entertainment. This episode was sponsored in part by listeners like you. Join our Patreon community and receive early access to episodes, bonus content, stickers, buttons, and more. Visit www.patreon.com slash YVR Screen Scene Podcast. Welcome to the YVR Screen Scene Podcast, where we pull back the curtain and expose the beating heart of the Vancouver film and television industry. Yes, I'm, I am. I am literally holding the heart in my hand. Reka, that's how, that's how we roll here. Oh, name, I gotta finish my script. Namely, the actors and filmmakers and other talented artists who do the work. Capital T, capital W. I'm Sabrina Furminger, and today I am fracking honored to welcome Rekha Sharma to the YVR Screen Scene Podcast. Yes, fracking. Yes, Battlestar Heads, I got you. I promise we're going to talk about Tori Foster and whether or not she deserved what she got in the end. And yes, Trekkies and Trekkers, we're going to talk about Star Trek Discovery and Star Trek Continues and how she relates to the universes created by Gene Roddenberry. And yes, sci-fi generalists, we're going to talk about Rekha's work in the realm of science fiction television. I spent my teen years with a six-foot-tall cardboard cutout of Commander Riker in my bedroom. I got you. I see you. I am you. <laughs> And it's true. I'll, I'll, I'll send because you some photos. Life-size, because that man is huge. Yeah, it was life-size. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's, it's something I should revisit, you know, that me as like a 13, 14-year-old girl um, thought that he was the definition of like manliness. Like that was what I coveted. Anyway, that's, that's when I do an episode about all of my issues. But no, this is your episode. And... I also want to talk about Reka's life here on Earth. How a Fijian, Indian, Canadian woman made space for herself in an industry that hasn't always welcomed people who look like her or cast BIPOC performers in roles that aren't defined solely by the color of our skin or ideas about what our culture should look like. Because I can tell you, it meant and it still means a lot to someone who looks like me to see someone who looks like Reka on screen, even if she's sending innocent humans out of airlocks. I also want to talk about success and how it's changed since the beginning of her career. I want to talk about COVID and how it's impacting her as an artist. And I want to talk about what she wants, what drives her, and where she's going to take us all next. I guess I want to talk about a lot of stuff, so let's just start. Rekha Sharma, the woman, the Cylon, the legend. Welcome to the YVR Screen Scene Podcast. Thank you, Sabrina. That was quite an opening. <laughs> that's how I liked it. That's how we roll. Uh, any, any rebuttal to the thesis statement? No rebuttal. Just like I bow down to all that is great about Sabrina. Listen, my thesis statement was not about Sabrina. I mean, I did inject myself in there a little bit, but only to contextualize stuff. Like, you know, when you hear yourself described that way, like I almost had tears in my eyes. I mean, I would have had tears in my eyes, but I I had like, I was writing it. That's when the moment was like, oh, I got very emotional. Now I'm just reading it and I'm not an actor, so whatever. But, you know, like it does mean a lot 
to someone like me to see someone like you on it, it, screen? Just to hear you say those words, every time you say it, I feel like I could cry. And I could, and I probably will already. That's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> me too, me too. Um, do, you, do, you, do you see yourself like, Am I a bit of a mirror here? Like, do you see yourself in that way? Do you, do you see yourself as somebody who has broken boundaries, as somebody who, who makes people feel connected, you know, to the larger world because you're on screen? To hear you, just the way you say it, I don't know, there's something about the way you said it. Maybe it's because it's coming out of your mouth as another woman of color. Um, it's the reason I haven't given up. It's the reason I just have stuck with it. Yeah. Because I was a little girl who did not see myself anywhere. I had like, yeah. you know, one career to hold on to, which is Sarita Chaudhary. Hmm. I was like, she's got a career. And I would follow her. Yeah. And, you know, and I think about, I didn't even think about it until way later, like recently, like just a few years ago, that my white girlfriends who are in this industry, they could have picked a bazillion people's careers to hang on to for hope. Yeah. I had one. So I don't even know if I'm answering your question. But yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes is whatever, whatever question I ask. Yes is the, is the answer. Um, okay. Usually I've, I've been beginning, although we're in such an emotional place already. Uh, but you know what? Let's just go. Let's just go. So during the pandemic, I have been asking everybody, you know, from my heart, how they're doing. <laughs> And that's another question that has, you know, has really like got people because it's been such a, we're almost at a year of this, Reka, you know, mm -hmm. it's, it's been a very, I mean, this is not a newsflash to you. It's been a fucked up time. It's been a challenging time. It's also a lot, there's been a lot of beauty and a lot of, you know, connecting with people despite all the barriers between us, you know, but it's been a lot. It's been a lot. So I ask you from my heart, how are you? How are you doing? I'm overall, I would say I'm good. I am better for these challenges. Mm. Um, I feel like any, you know, any difficult time in your life, whether it's personal or on this current scale, global, you know, there's, there are so many gifts to be had. Yeah. You know, one of the most wonderful times in my life, uh, you may think this is weird, but was when my father died. It mm. was brutal. Yeah. And, oh my God, it, it was like everything just became crystal clear about what's important. Yeah. I felt my strength. I felt my weakness. I felt everything. And my priorities were in line and I feel a similar thing through this. I mean, in the beginning, my anxiety was through the roof. Um, 
there was so much going on. And then, you know, George Floyd and the whole Black Lives Matter thing was so both traumatic and empowering. Mm. I don't know if you felt that way as well as a person of color. But. Absolutely. All of the events of the last year, I think, have you know, brought us to this moment of, of reflection, you know, and, and even, I mean, I love what you were saying about, like, I actually, I do as somebody who has dealt with grief and dealt with trauma, you know, um, sometimes like when you are in the, the, the center of that hurricane, it's, it can be really calm, right? In the center of the tornado, you know, and I, yeah. And on, I mean, the last year has kind of been like a, a tornado and, but the, the, nice thing, if you can say nice in quotation marks, is that we've all been going through it, you know? Um, and, you know, for somebody like me who has so much anxiety and uh, has PTSD and has all these other things, um, lots and lots of mental health issues. Like my, honestly, my th therapist makes a lot of money for me, um, you know, but that like I've, I've, but then I see my, I'm able to be there for my friends who have not been, not, not, not been as immersed in their mental health as I have been over the years, you know, and, and so I've been able to support them, you know, through this and just acknowledging and helping them acknowledge the fact that this is hard for everybody, you know, and what they're feeling is normal. And honestly, Reka, when I asked you that question, I had no idea we were going to end up here. And when I, <laughs> when I welcomed you to the podcast today, I had no idea that we would go so deep so quickly okay guys it's going to be one of those episodes you know what i'm what i'm talking about um you did you did mention being a kid mm. right and so i want to go back in time then i want to meet you when you were nine years old first of all what's your time travel vehicle of choice oh oh right you you do this little thing I do this thing. It's not, it's not little, it's big because it's very revealing about who you okay. are, where you come from. What are from. my choices? Or should I just go? I mean, some people have taken stuff from, from pop culture, you know, the Bill and Ted phone booth, the TARDIS, the DeLorean, whipping the Enterprise around the sun, Superman whipping around the sun, um, and other people. I think Sarah Canning was like, I'm an old arm, in an old armchair. She had an old armchair. Anyway, people have like, you know, just created, created stuff, you know, but I, I just, I find it all very revealing. Nice. I mean, I feel like I probably have two answers then. <laughs> that, 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 that's revealing. Is it? Okay. Because like the obvious answer is the DeLorean because Back to the Future. Right. Um, I loved that movie so much. Still do. Um, I haven't seen it in years though. And then if I was like, hmm, it's just a vehicle, then I would say it's a boat. It's a boat. They took my ancestors from India and shipped them off to Fiji. It was a shit boat, but it's part of who I am. Okay. Let's go in that one. Okay. Let's go in that one. Let's go in the shit boat. Yeah, that's in, in your blood memory. Okay, and we're going to sail. We're going to sail back to, um, to your childhood, childhood uh, when you're nine years old. First of all, uh, where are we going? Uh, so I guess that would be North Van. We're going to North Van. Okay. Yep. And uh, just paint me a picture. 
who were you and what did you care about and and what did you want to be when you grew up? Well, um, I would say I cared mostly about spending time with my friend Kirsten. Mm -hmm. She was my first friend and I met her when I was eight in Vancouver. We moved to Vancouver from Edmonton. I had zero friends in Edmonton. Um, way too brown for Edmonton, mm. <laughs> at least my area. And uh, so we mostly goofed around in the forest, lots of nature, lots of playing outside, acting like a total moron, making our own little uh, radio shows on my back deck. <laughs> Playing mad scientist on the island in the middle of the street. Yeah. A lot of imagination play. Yeah. And, oh, excuse me. Turn that off. That's uh, so dramatic. I know. That's why it's suspense <laughs> sound. And it just cracked me up. I'm like, it's perfect. Who texted? <gasps> Till I read it. Oh, that person. Okay. Right, but during uh, the um, pandemic, often if somebody texts, I'm like, oh shit. Like just like, who now? What the fuck's going on? So I I get that. I like the suspense. Yeah, it makes it more film noir. Yeah, I exactly. just I love I love that imagination play. Because imagination, it's it's I mean I'm not an actor, but I'm assuming it's a huge part of, of what you do. It's yeah. everything. It's everything. So you're getting your, your training then, you know, even before you knew what, what you were doing. But, you know, like, did you, did you, like, at what point did you articulate, I want to be an actor, you know? Hmm. Um, like, was that early on? Or, like, you know, t tell me about, like, what you wanted to be and, you know, what your family wanted you to be. Right. Um, so the acting thing started in grade Five, grade four. Oh. I had an audition. There, there was a school play. Or was it grade six? I think it was grade five. Um, I think we kind of wrote part of it ourselves. I don't remember. All I remember was uh, I was the only one who had memorized my lines. I was the only one who could just naturally be loud, project my voice. And it was just this little thing in the round that we did. And it was just a small group of like some other students and the parents, like it wasn't even the whole school. And when I came out, every, all, the, all the parents were like, you know, leaning in so that they could hear their kids. And when I came out, they all sat back like this. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Just remember seeing that and being like, huh, okay. Um, and then when I went home that day, my mom, my brother and my father were the ones who came and they told my mom she missed out big time and how great I was. And I was like, huh, it was interesting to me that it would have an effect on somebody else. I didn't understand that part of the acting. I was like, I was doing this thing. And I remember losing myself in the moment with one of my best friends and as the character, I like pushed her and was angry at her. And af like afterwards, even during, I felt bad because I got so into it. I really thought that I hurt her feelings. 
by being mean. <laughs> I was like, I'm sorry. Um, that was some kind of insight into what would come in later roles, you know, yeah, so. <laughs> wrestling so. with guilt. That's so, that's so interesting. So you lost yourself so completely that you were worried that you would hurt this other person and you had not even thought about the impact that it would have on other people. That's some very yeah. profound thinking about acting and craft, you know, at like 10 years old. I guess so. Like, I think we're smarter when we're younger. <laughs> I, I don't think you're wrong. Like, I, I think that kids, like, I, I kind of like, cause I have a, I have a 10 year old and she, I find her so interesting and a little scary because I can see passion distilled. I can see need and want distilled. She's only just now kind of thinking about what society expects or what other people expects. But like, this is, this is, she is a human being at 10. She knows what she wants. She knows what she doesn't want, you know, and she is, she has such command over her voice, you know, both volume. She's the loudest child in the history of time and space. And I am, I am willing to like, to, to say that to Guinness book of world records if it needs, but also in terms of, you know, able to articulate what she wants, you know, and that's why I find like talking to, to the guests on the show about what they're like when they're nine and they're, t and they're 10, you know, it, I find it very revealing because it's almost like, I mean, we talk about how COVID and this time has kind of, you know, distilled things and stripped things away, you know, so is that as, and what we care about when we're kids as well, you know, before everything else gets piled on. Um, did you have people in your family who were actors, who were artists, you know, like, was this, was this a, a career path that, that seemed realistic to you and to people around you? When I was that young, no, it was like, I never would have thought of it as a career. I did, however, want to be an artist. Um, I decided that I was going to be a, a painter or, a, or like some kind of visual artist Yeah. Uh, around the age of 10. And then by the time I was 12, the acting thing really... Um, was also locked in. And then I was like, well, I thought I knew what I was going to do with my life, be an artist, but now I'm totally confused. Should I be an actor or an artist? And that was, <laughs> that was my conundrum. When you're 12 years old. Yeah. 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 I had it all figured out. Oh my God. Now this is really thrown a wrench into the works. <laughs> um, what did your parents think? Hmm. They, my parents are interesting. They, um, they were the black sheep of, of their families. They broke a lot of rules. And Ooh, uh, that explains a lot. Also <laughs> see the picture starting to, to emerge. Yeah. So while they weren't artists, I mean, my, my mom was a, a hairdresser, right? which you may have found out from this last year where, I've, I've decided to start calling the pandemic, AKA that year where I lived with my mom and had about a dozen haircuts because she was bored. <laughs> <laughs> You're luckier than almost everybody though, because you know, I had, I had to dye a re dye my, my kid's hair this weekend, uh, pink with manic panic. 
And uh, because, you know, what she had had done, you know, during that brief window when we could go outside again, you know, um, was has completely faded. And it was two hours of very primal animalistic screaming at each other. Um, and then as I'm trying to rinse her hair, it's pink. And so the bathroom, it looked like a, a crime scene. Um, and then there was after with the bleach as I was trying to get it. Any, anyway, it looked good, but I can't talk about it yet. No, you're a good mom. You're <laughs> so good you're mom. lucky. You're very lucky to live very with somebody lucky. who has the skills. Your I, hair looks great. Thank you. I, I knew that I was lucky, which is cool. But where were we? We were talking about how uh, you are the descendants of black sheep. Yes, the black sheep. So, um, right, they weren't artists, but they were very much always, uh, because of their lives and the struggles they faced, they were always clear about two things, which is you get to marry who you love. And you, you do whatever you want to do with your life to make you happy. You follow your dreams. And whew, that, those were the two clear messages, which were amazing. Um, now, when they discovered what my dreams were, a little teeth chattering definitely happened. <laughs> a little bit of like, well now, but let's also be practical about this. Um, but but not that much. Um, you know, they were just very encouraging that I also get some some college education in case it doesn't work out. So I ended up, I, I actually went to a year of art school, which was terrible. And then I um, dropped out. <laughs> um, because art school is a trip. Um, and then I um, ended up studying psychology. I thought, because when I dropped out of art school, I knew that I was a head case. I was like, that went terribly. I'm now a blocked artist, which is not ideally what happens when you go to art school. So I was like, I need to fix myself. And I knew that I wanted to spend my life as an artist. And I knew it wasn't going to be easy. Mm -hmm. And I thought, I really need to get my head screwed on straight so that I don't end up like a disaster. So I started, I, I did this course that was very experientially based, which was kind of like being in group therapy for three years. And um, it really did make a huge difference. The, the skills, the deep dive into my own psyche, my heart, my soul. I grew up a lot in those three years and, and I've never stopped that kind of personal work, both uh, spiritual practices and therapy are like my, uh, my home base. And then at the same time, it was a great way to study human behavior is re really understand um, you know, why we do the things that we do. Wow. Okay. So expect a whole bunch of texts from me, you know, when I'm like <laughs> having my existential crises and stuff, you know, I, 
I'm your girl, girl. <laughs> I love that idea, though, of like, you know, you're a blocked artist after art school. And then you're like, I need to, I, I need to, like, I need to fix myself. So, but instead of going for therapy, you're like, I'm going to be the person who can do this work on myself. And then use it in service to the character, like in service of the characters of the art that you, you end up creating it. Honestly, it's um, when we get to talk about Tori and stuff, I, I can't wait to hear about, you know, some of the, 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 what your teachings, you know, um, and what, what we can see of what you learned uh, in school that we see in that character. But um, as, as far as, you know, your foray into the industry goes, like, what kind of career did you want at that point? You know, when you're, 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 you're standing there and you're like, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna like, I'm gonna give this acting thing a go. I got my plan B all secured and I've done the, you know, immigrant parents, they love us to have university educations, got those, you know, you have all that. And then, and then what did you want? You know, it's interesting. I feel like there were, and still are in some ways kind of two of me. Hmm. There's this very, there's like the person who's like, yeah, I know what I want. And then there's this other very practical character. And so I think, yeah, I want to be Meryl Streep. <laughs> That's what I want. Yeah. <laughs> That's what every actor wants, right? You want to be free as an artist. You want to be within your craft and your abilities and then you also want the freedom to be able to do the roles that mm -hmm. are wonderful and exciting and working with incredible people and all of that but then there's this other part of me that was like looked at the world and all of the things that i was told about the way i look and what the limitations are of that and i was like well if i could just do things to pay my rent and then maybe I just do theater on the side to make me happy. Maybe that'll work. So when you started in the industry, then you like, what roles were you reading for then that you were like, I'm not going to be able to, at least at this stage, achieve happiness and I'm going to have to do theater to find happiness. Like what, what roles were coming your way? What did people want you to read for? I mean, it was all the very stereotypical stuff as a as a as an Asian person, which is you know the doctors, the lawyers, the the um, the doctors and the lawyers. I think that's <laughs> the tech doctors, lawyers, nurses, probably some yeah some, yeah yeah, and just you know, and I knew that part of that also was just like okay, I'm just starting out. Um. So I've got to build my resume, build my experience. And I, you know, I, but there did come the point where I was like, if I have to play another goddamn doctor as an Indian person, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lose my shit. Yeah. And I remember I made a decision because those were the rules that I was just being called out for. And I made a decision. I said, I need... I don't know how I came up with this. I came up with this myself. Nice work. Um, she just patted herself on the back. I did. Yeah. 
I'm like, wait a second, that was smart. Nobody else even gave me that idea. Um, there was probably somebody else who contributed to the idea, but- um, No, no, own it. It's all you. It's all you. You did this. Told me. I was like, I need them to see me as something else. Hmm. And so I just decided the next character, whatever it is, it's going to be sexy. I'm going to make her sexy. I'm going to, I'm going to think of her as a lead. And it was for a nurse. <laughs> so I just undid a couple of buttons. Yeah. And she was just the sexiest nurse. And it worked, Sabrina. The next audition that that casting director brought me in for was a bigger role. It was not a nurse or a doctor or whatever. It, it was like a... I think it was a guest star, but it was like somebody with more personality. It worked. <laughs> so, I mean, what is the, what's the lesson there? Like, is, is the lesson that it's about your mindset and what you put out? Because like, I also feel like, you know, producers and casting people have to be part of the process as well, you know, mm -hmm. of seeing people who look like you, people who look like me in, in roles other than the doctors and the lawyers, yes. you know? Um, so whose who's responsibility is it and whose responsibility should it be? And like, what's the lesson in that, in that experience? I mean, I think there's a couple of things. I think it's definitely like, okay, I was done with that box. And so I decided to do something to shake it up. Yeah. And, you know, the universe responded in kind. Um, you know, there is a very simple fact of, you know, if they don't see it, then they don't know what you're capable of. Mm. And if you have to start off with small parts, whatever your stereotype is, how do you get them to see you as more than a small part? You have to work it in there somehow so that they can go, huh. Interesting, right? And for some people, that's not an issue. They get to audition for big parts right away. I don't, I don't know what that is. But well, maybe yeah. part of it is what you were able to do as well. You know, to the fact that you could, you could give people either actors of color um, or producers and casting directors the opportunity to be like, huh, yeah, somebody like her who looks like her can can play a asylum <laughs> like let's say like yeah. for example just you know as an example as an example you know but it was like you had to almost be the somebody had to be first yeah you know? definitely I mean I, I think about that big time with Sarita Choudhury like thank you for being the, the like you know one of five Indian actors working <laughs> yeah so that little me could go wait her. Her. Yeah. Um, I want to talk about sci-fi. Uh, like before Battlestar, before Discovery. Um, and just as a place where we can see diversity, you know, because some of the first women that I saw on screen who looked kind of sort of like me were in sci-fi shows. 
(laughs) They were, they were often playing women from a different planet, you know, um, or, or, you know, to show us what an idea of what some future civilization, you know, would look like. I mean, even class, I mean, honestly, classically, Star Trek, the original series, having a multicultural crew at a time when, you know, they're still fighting, you know, segregation, you know, in, in the States. Um, t- tell me about the, the, the genre and your experiences in the genre and why it's a place where, where, as far as I can see from the outside looking in, and I have looked in a hell of a lot, you know, has been a place where that has been more you know, embracing of diversity and representation. Yeah. I mean, the jaded part of me, uh, we'll start there. (laughs) I like the jaded part of you. I really do. I mean, I like all parts of you, but I know. I just, I, I'm feeling it today. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I has, has said for a long time now, um, you know, I have a career in sci-fi because in the future, people aren't racist. Um, oh. Yeah. <laughs> in the future, in the ever-coming future. So it's a dream. It's still a dream now. It's, it's something that is, or is it an, an inevitability? Is that how we see it? Is that how white people see it? <laughs> I think so. Yes. Right? Yeah. And I mean, to go to the not jaded part of me, you know, my intro to sci-fi was TOS, original Star Trek. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and seeing Uhura was one of the first clues to possibly acting. Cause that was, I was really young. I was eight years old watching that. Yeah. And, um, and I kind of, you know, that, that planted a seed cause I, I would watch that show and be like, what? Planets, other people, there is no racism, there's no sexism. I mean, it was still there, but what did I know? Um, but for the time, I mean, if we're gonna look at, at, at yeah. Star Trek through, through the 1960s lens, it was revolutionary. It absolutely you know, Despite was. the fact that the women were wearing super cute mini dresses. And, uh, <laughs> Which, you know, eight-year-old me was like, damn. I'm yeah. Like, days. Yeah. Um, hell. Kirk was love-making everybody across the galaxy, you know? Yeah. And, uh, yeah. but, but whatever. But, whatever. But the first storytelling that I had seen where that was a possibility, it was, and I, and I you know, could look at that and go, wait, this is a period piece. And there's a black woman who is a series regular, who is on this show. I mean, I didn't know that term at the time, but that definitely planted a seed so that later on when I knew that I wanted to be an actor, or at least give it a shot, I could yeah. go, one, Sarita Chaudhry, two, Michelle Nichols. She did it back then. Yeah. I was like, and, and so those were kind of my my two of my big uh, anchors or um, guiding lights, if you will. So really cool to end up coming full circle and end up being part of the Star Trek world. I have met both Nichelle and Sarita and got to tell them both what an impact they made on my life 
and they were both so lovely. Yeah, yeah. What a moment that that must have been to, yeah. especially with Nichelle. Because mm-hmm. I've had the opportunity to hold her hands, you know, and because she she'll, she will take your hand in hers and and hold it yeah. tight and to thank her, you know, for well for not quitting, you know, for not quitting Star Trek when she when she had wanted to quit, you know, after the first season, and then I didn't know that. Yeah, her friend, uh, her friend, Dr. Martin Luther King, said to her that it's important that she be there because she was a theater actress, right? So she'd had this whole experience of like, you know, really getting, you know, into the, the deep stage roles. And she's like, I'm answering the space phone. This is in the first season, you know, when it just started. She's like, I don't want to do this anymore. And he's like, you are get what people see on screens is important. And people seeing you on screen in Star Trek, you know, as part of this, this future, you know, community where you can be there and you are an equal on the crew. That is important. You know, and then, you know, she stayed with it. And then in her, in, in her life since, you know, she inspired astronauts. She has, you know, she was, has worked with NASA to bring women of color, you know, into, you know, into their, into the arms, you know, of, of, of what they do there, you know, and uh, it's like, she's had an incredible impact on so many people, you know, in the world, in the world of entertainment and in the world of STEM, you know, it's, it's incredible when you see, you know, what a, what your legacy as an artist can be. It's, it's mind blowing. Yeah. Totally blowing. And she's so, she's such a queen about it. She's just so graceful and uplifting and noble. Yeah. She took my hand too when we first met, I met her, you know, a number of times since then, but that first time I'll never forget. She held my hand and she said, that's right, dear. You have to stick with it. She said, I did that when Martin Luther King was was marching in the streets. Yeah. I was on Star Trek. Yeah. You know. I was like, whoa, dude. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Um okay, we're gonna we're gonna come back to Star Trek in a little bit because I feel like it's important to talk about um and, and I want to talk about all sorts of roles that you've done and and you can think for the future. This is a question coming up. What is a Rekha Sharma role? So you, you chew on that for a bit. Um, but I think it's important to talk about Tori Foster um, because I think I had never seen a character quite like her. And I'm not even talking about a person of color character. I mean, I'm talking about a character like Tori on screen before. So I want to know, first of all, how much did you know about Tori's eventual arc um, when you were first cast? Zero. Zero. I, I instinctually, I had this feeling from the material that they would want to see whether or not she could become a bad person. Yeah. Didn't even know the show. I didn't really know the premise. I had never seen it. All I knew was that Grace was working on it. And I was like, woohoo you know, Grace is working. Yeah. <laughs> got a job on some cheesy remake of some bad 70s show that I've also never seen. That that was my mindset. <laughs> Honestly. Oh my, the education that that you received. Um but but what happened was when I looked at the 
material. And I, when I went into the rooms, I was like, they're doing something good. I don't know what it is, but it's good. And I remember I called one of my best friends, Sarah Lind, who's also a phenomenal Vancouver actress. Mm -hmm. um, and I said, I think I really want to work on this show. I don't know what's going on, but it's not what we think. <laughs> it's not, it's not what we thought. And then to go there and be like, my first day, um, Mary McDonald, she looks so familiar. There's something familiar about this woman. And I got on the phone with one of my best friends who like knows all the actors and everything. And I was like, so I'm in this scene with Mary McDonald. Do you know who that is? And she was like, are you fucking kidding me? Uh, dances with wolves. And I was like, no, Kevin Costner. No, I would never have watched. That. And, then, <laughs> and then she was like, I was like, Donnie Darko's mom. <laughs> Oh my God, I'm acting with Donnie Darko's mom. <laughs> wow. These are such revealing answers to my questions. Um, <laughs> Sorry, Kevin. <laughs> I've, I've become way less of an art snob, but I very much was an art snob when I was a younger person. Um, you mentioned bad, the word bad. I'm interested in that because like, did you... I have very mixed feelings about Tori. Um, I think a lot of people do. And I mean, I, like, do you think that she, she is at her core bad, that she was a bad person? Or, or was she, was she uh, like, did you see her as good at all? And like, I guess my, my overall question, you can see I'm totally proud at asking questions, is like, does it matter? Like for you as a performer, is it important to empathize and to understand where she's coming from and to even like her. I, I think so. I mean, like is an interesting thing. I don't know. I don't know if you have to like who you're playing because people often don't like themselves, you know? Um, oh, yeah. It's another truth. You are dropping a lot of truth here today, Reka. Man. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. Well, but let's talk specifically about, about Tori. Like, did, did you like yeah, her? I did. I, I mean, she took quite a journey, which I didn't expect. I had no idea um, that that's where things were going to go. And honestly, they didn't even know. Um, at first, I mean... She's an interesting person. She She felt very much to me, you know, I made choices that she was a, she's a politician at heart, you know, yeah. and a politician working with PTSD because everybody on that show had PTSD. Yeah. I mean, you talk about what COVID is doing to all of us now, like <laughs> there should have been trauma counselors everywhere for everybody. Everywhere. Um, <laughs> But yeah, it was like an insane circumstance to be running for your life in space from artificial intelligence that wanted to take over 
and I was just trying to save, just trying to save the human race. That's all I was trying to do. No, no big deal. Not a big ask. No, no, no. No. And um, yeah, those were amazing circumstances to live through. The, The stories, the scripts were brilliant and very little negative judgment I placed on, on Tori, you know, she had to make difficult decisions to try and save humanity. And that's part of the tragedy of the world I think we live in is that really only enlightened people should have to make those kinds of decisions. Mm. But instead, who's in charge are a bunch of like neurotic, regular humans yeah. who really aren't qualified to make any of these decisions. So they're made poorly. Yeah. Was there anything that she did that repulsed you? I'm thinking of one thing specifically. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> tossing somebody out an airlock is a repulsive action. Yeah. Um, but, you know, who's either Callie or the final four. Yeah. I'm wondering about how your experience of playing Tori and appearing on Battlestar Galactica, which explored all of these, all of these issues, um, which are really, really relevant today. It's been interesting going back and watching Battlestar uh, during the pandemic and being like, well, this hits a little too close to home. <laughs> But I'm just wondering how how it it changed you, like either like how it changed how you see the world or how it changed your craft in any way. Um, it changed a lot. I mean, it changed my career. Hmm. It uh, that first day on set, I cried tears of joy at the end of the day, working with Mary McDonald. I it was. I always say it was the first time that I, that I found that, hey, actually, I could be happy and satisfied as an artist working in television. I did not think it was possible for me to be happy and satisfied working in television. And Battlestar showed me that it could be. Um, so that was huge. That was huge. Um, and then certainly those, those stories that really explore the gray area. Um, I always say, you know, what I love, the, the sort of metaphor that I love about Battlestar is, is that you are your own enemy. I literally was the thing that I thought I was fighting. Yeah. And... Um, and there is no enemy. There is no other. Yeah, yeah. Um, that hits very, very close to home. And that is why uh, I do recommend that everybody, I mean, it's, it's if you don't have funds for therapy, watch Battlestar. You will work out all sorts of stuff watching it. Um, okay. I feel like I've watched you die a lot. Uh, and uh, <laughs> a lot of like really like 
epic deaths, not just fading gently into your sleep. And like, you know, the, the, the one that obviously really sticks out is, um, is Tori's death. Thankfully, <laughs> it, uh, Ron learned the hard way by the time it came to my death. He actually talked to me before I had to read it. Okay. And just gave me a little heads up. Look, you know, the audience needs to get some uh, revenge. That wasn't the word. Somebody's got to get, somebody's got to pay. <laughs> There's got to be some justice, some justice yeah. for what happened, I guess. Yeah. So, yeah. and he was like, you know, we're going to do it right at the end. Show's over pretty much. So I was like, oh, I didn't like it, but I understood where he was coming from as a storyteller. So like, do you have a favorite though of all the various ways that you have been slaughtered on screen? I mean, melting like the Wicked Witch of the West, East. I am, I am going to get shamed for this, being such a musical theater kid who loves Wizard of Oz. I'm like, why don't I know which Well, because they were, they, were both, they were both present. One of them had the, had the house dropped on her at the beginning, and then the other one, you know, was, I'm melting all the world. I think it's the Wicked Witch of the West. I think, I think so. I think it was. The we best. could actually fact check, fact check this like in real time, but I'm not going to. I'm not no. going to. We're just going to have people screaming at their, at their where, however they are listening to this podcast. Um, uh, yeah, melting, eh? There's something about that that was kind of special. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, getting to see yourself melt, like I, you know, I was like, okay. I don't like seeing myself die, but at least I get to see what they did with the CGI to make it look disgusting afterwards. And they yeah. did a great job. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Let's let's talk. Let's get back to some Star Trek uh, because I, as I as I have revealed, um, I am a Trekkie, long time, lifelong, and into the future. Um, but there's something so special about Star Trek Discovery. Um, and I don't even know, like, I've been trying to explain it to the Star Trek fans in my life who haven't yet given it a chance. And I'm like, I've been liking it, it to, like, you know, TNG or, or Doctor Who, but with, like, with this edge, you know? Like, it's, it's, it's not all, all happy all the time. And, it, like, the, the, like it, people will, will stab you. Like, they'll just stab you or you'll, they'll feed you to, a, like, to, like, a big creature that's going to eat you. Um, I, and they're like, huh? That's Star Trek? But I'm like, no, it is, like, it is, like, distilled the spirit of what Star Trek is, you know, which is about discovery and um, <laughs> discovery and hum humanity and who we are as people and how we relate to the universe. Like, what do you, like, what, like, in what ways do you see Gene Roddenberry's spirit in the production of the show, you know, and in the conceit of the show? I mean, I see it alive and well, and I will be honest, when, I, when we were shooting it, um, I was worried as, mm -hmm. as a, a Trekkie myself, I was worried that it was gonna be too dark. And so I understand why there's a lot of people who won't even dare to watch it because they're worried about that. I was worried too, you're yeah. not. 
You don't need to worry though. Give it a chance. And, and you don't. I went to the premiere and I was like, oh, it's still Star Trek. It's beautiful. And it's that heart. And it is so alive and well in Burnham, who is our wonderful lead. And Sonequa Martin-Green is a queen and I love her to bits. But it's not just her. It's I mean, the whole cast. I mean, Mary Wiseman is oh, so good. Uh, Dougie Jones, his character is so sweet. There's so much sweetness in the storytelling. It's there in the scripts. It's just a little more real, which makes it all the sweeter. Yeah. Because the world we live in is harsh and it's nature. Nature kills things. And nature is the most beautiful thing in the world that can uplift you. Just looking at a flower is exquisite. Yeah. You know, that's life. Don't be afraid of the range of it, my dear Trex, Trexters. Oh, I haven't heard that one yet. I have Trekkie for, for the original series and then Trekker for the newer stuff, but Trexter. See, that's now. like the, 20, the 21st century equivalent. I dig that. Um, so I have a question from Twitter. Yeah. Uh, and, and it was related to, uh, to Star Trek and, you know, all of the oeuvre of stuff that either was produced, executive produced by Gene Roddenberry or, or inspired by and, and honors, built from his legacy. So if you could have a, your choice of a permanent role on a Star Trek series past or present, what show would you pick aside from Discovery? TNG. Really? Yeah. Yeah? Okay, so tell me about the role. Like what, what, I mean, what department okay. would you work okay. in? Now I'm already taking it back. Uh, that's my first instinct and it's totally from an emotional place because that was the show. Uh, and those are my people. <laughs> You know, I'm yeah. friends with with Jonathan Frakes and Brett Spiner and, you know, we all hang out. Um, and I just love them to bits. As an artist, Deep Space Nine. Interesting. I think the scripts were more complex. I think the storytelling was deeper. And yeah, it was and definitely a departure in a lot of ways, right? Because they were, in a lot of ways, they were static. I remember what, like the beginning when I was watching it, I'm like, this feels like a crime procedural, you know, in, in, in some ways. And like, they don't go anywhere. And yet where they got to go, you know, was, was phenomenal and dark and challenging, you know? And I think it would be more fun as an artist, but my, my heart, my child He's like TNG. TNG. So, what department would you work in? Would you do secu Would you do security, engineering? Um, would you be? Would you be? Uh, I don't know. Like, would you be the counselor, like Deanna Troy? Oh, I totally wanted to be her when I was yeah, a kid. Same. Yeah. She was one of the first people I saw that kind of looked like me. Me too. You know? I was like, "There's the There's the dark one," and you know, yeah. and she. She had to first the bud and then the flowy dresses and I liked that towards the end too where she got to be a bit more badass, you know, yeah. and and uh really earn that title, you know, of commander. 
Yeah, it was such a great moment in television. And I think um, that group of people as well, what I hear from a lot of people is not since TNG has a cast been so tight and, and um, simpatico as they are in Discovery. That's yeah. world. Oh. No offense to the others, but that's, I've heard it from a few different places that this cast is as magical as that one was. And it, it's no offense to no, but no one. It's just a rare thing. And I found this out wonderfully early in my career by being on Battlestar, by having Edward James almost said, what is happening here happens very, very rarely, you take note, you understand that we are going to know each other for the rest of our lives. He knew it. Yeah. He was like, you will never have, you, you will possibly never, ever have it this good again. He was like, in 40 years of acting, you kids, you. <laughs> Mark my words. And we were all sort of like, oh, you know. Well, Uncle Eddie, <laughs> waxing poetic again. No, we're family to this day. And that's just rare that that happens, you know? Yeah. I, I think that's the case with TNG, and I think that's the case with the Discovery Cats. Why do you stay in Vancouver? <laughs> I left. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I, I left in 2015, but I keep coming back. You keep coming back. Keep coming There's some back. Vancouver sun on your face right now. There is. Um, I mean, sure. There's the things of it. It's home. It's where I grew up. It's Canada. Um, what was wonderful in the last couple of years coming back to Vancouver is the community. Just, you know, after auditioning for a good chunk of time in LA and being gone to come back here. And <laughs> when I, you know, started coming back a couple years ago, we could actually see each other in rooms. It wasn't COVID. Um, and the warmth, the feeling of community from the actors, casting directors, you know, the whole thing is so special. It's so great. It, you know, it doesn't feel as competitive as LA. Hmm. It's more like, okay, you know, we're all there and we're all there to do the best work we can, but we all like, is so many, we're surrounded by people who know that we're all great artists and believe we all believe in each other. We all want to see each other win. Mm. You know, it's such a nice sort of small town feeling, honestly, to be like, uh, you know, I, oh, okay, I'm working on this movie. Somebody there, at least five people I will know yeah. from you. You know, I can't wait to see who's going to be there when I get to work, you know? Yeah. I love to hear that because it's something that I found even on the periphery, but that I found as well about this community. 
Um, what is a Rekha Sharma role? You know, like when are you the happiest um, and the most engaged with a character? Um, or like what needs to be present in order to get you really riled up? Get me really riled up? Yeah, in the good way. <laughs> I think, you know, I'm still discovering it and I want to continue to dis- discover it. I think that's part of being an actor. I feel like I have like a hundred people inside of me, you know, mm-hmm. that are just hopefully going to get room to breathe. Um, but I will say if they're smart and funny and they can be still stupid and smart at the same time. Like that, do you know what I mean? Yeah. They have some kind of smarts that are fun to play with. They've got a sense of humor. A lot of it's about circumstance that gets me excited. You know, I want to be in uh, a lot of sticky situations. <laughs> yeah, no that- boring stuff for you. No, like, well, you know, I'm just going to, I'm just going to be here and I'm going to, I'm going to be the doctor who does the exposition or no, you want to be like, you want to be the person who inflicts the wounds. I'm just putting words in your mouth, but I'm also fine with, Solving the wound. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's just, it's sticky situations is where, where the drama is, where we, where we discover who we are. You know, this is sort of bringing the conversation full circle in, it's in challenging circumstances that we find out what we're made of. Yeah. That to me is like one of the most beautiful things about humanity. Oh my God. We're all such beautiful creatures and we don't know what we're capable of until we're faced with a challenge and sometimes we fail sometimes we discover that we're lazy or scared and we don't face the challenge but isn't that amazing to discover that yeah i love that art gives us a chance to see that play out you know that that like when I watch television, I've been watching a lot of television and I include Netflix in television. Um, like I have these cathartic experiences whenever I watch something that's so tragic, you know, or I mean, honestly, even the season finale, the series finale of Battlestar Galactica was so cathartic. And I got to, within the context and the confines of the art, work all my emotions out about, about loss and about, about fear and about like what kind of faith I have in humanity. And then I get to move on and carry that into the rest of my day, you know, but I guess I'm very grateful to the storytellers, you know, who give us the, us normies, us, you know, us people who watch the screen, you know, the chance to, to work all that stuff out and then carry that into the rest of our lives. Yeah, and that actually, you know, according to what I understand of mirror neurons, um, it actually, we have a physiological response when we see somebody else go through a hero's journey, even if it's through our screen, you know, you watch a baseball movie and, and somebody goes from being kind of a scruffy person to the, the lead of the, the team we're feeling those same feelings in our body as we watch that story. And we, we have our own little hero's journey inside that we can then hopefully translate into action in our own lives. We get inspired to 
to face things and make our lives better. The other thing, speaking of baseball, is I love being physical. Mm. A lot of television is a lot of standing around and talking. So whenever I can be physical on set, I'm very happy as well. We are opposites in that. I mean, I guess I very joyfully spend my life sitting down uh, and I have to work myself up to go and like pick my daughter up from school today uh, to walk the eight blocks and then back. <laughs> That's hilarious. I used to actually, because Tori was so not physical, um, I would find any excuse to like run errands for ADs just so I could run across the parking lot. <laughs> <laughs> but can I deliver that envelope to the office? Uh, okay. Um, what do you think 10-year-old Rekha would think of your career, you know, and the kind of the artist and who you are as an artist and the artistic life that you lead? Thanks for asking that question. I feel like she'd be pretty pleased. I think she'd be delightfully surprised. Oh, it makes me feel better about my life. Yeah. yeah. I think a lot about myself when I was 10 um, and being, being bullied or, or just feeling like that this was it, being on the outside was going to be it, you know? Um, and I, I, I think a lot of what I do when I go for my dreams uh, is child honoring, like literally honoring. I mean, there's child honoring in parenthood, but then there's child honoring where you honor the child that's within you, you know, as well. And that's what I, I try to do. I try to make nine or 10 year old me, you know, proud and think, what would she think of? What would she think of this? We are going to get into fit talking about favorite things, but before we do, mm -hmm. if you could go back in time, and spend some time with with ten year old you. Maybe this time we'll take the DeLorean. Um, <laughs> we'll go. We'll drive right up to her door. She's like, oh wow. Um, and and you could you could give her some words of wisdom or words of comfort. You know, what would you say? Don't worry. I would say that part of you that's deep inside, nothing is gonna change that. It can't be touched. So don't worry about what happens on the outside because you are pristine in there. I kind of want to say that to my daughter when I pick her up from school today. Mm. I like that. Yeah. Go play some favorite things. Sure. How does this game work? It's very complicated. The rules were uh, first developed by my daughter in 2020. Um, I basically I ask you what your favorite thing is of a thing, and then you tell me what it is. These are a few of my favorite things. Perfect. I will now be using that in all subsequent episodes <laughs> to introduce the to introduce the segment. Okay. Favorite karaoke song? Uh, <laughs> See, that face you just made, that panic, that's the entire reason for this segment. Space Oddity. <gasps> that, is, that is such an on-the-nose choice for you. I, I do need to say. <laughs> it is, actually. It, it really is. Really, this is a lot. 
favorite cartoon character? Waskly Wabbit. Okay. Uh, it was just impulse. I'm answering with impulse. That's good. That's how you should be answering. Okay. Um, favorite Vancouver shot series, past or present, on which you haven't appeared? Haven't. X-Files? How are you not on X-Files? Millennium. That was before my time. Millennium. It's Both of them. Yeah. Both so good. Okay. What is your favorite junk food? Favorite junk food? Oh, I mean donuts. I love that you said that, that it's like a, everybody says that. No one has said that yet. I love donuts. Oh, no. It's like if you know me, you know about my donut obsession. Oh, yeah? You, you, there are pictures of me with donuts on Instagram. Thing. <laughs> I started a, this little charity thing called Donuts for Vets. It's a, I brought people to a donut shop. It's a thing. It's a thing. I didn't know that was a thing. Okay, I, I, um, I had an entire summer when I was a teenager where I rode the GO train from where I lived in, in uh, northern, like north of Toronto to downtown Toronto, and I got a Boston cream donut every single day. Um, but I was 21, so my metabolism could handle it. Um, but so, like, what is your go-to donut? I love an old-fashioned, just a plain old-fashioned. It's not very sweet texture especially if it's a little on the greasier side i love how much you've thought about this oh a lot yeah <laughs> i mean i can tell you the donuts around town that you really need to hit when the pandemic's over yeah our office is right down from from um a, a lucky's donuts they got good stuff lucky's is one of my faves I also, can I just say how much I liked when you're like, oh, there are pictures of me with donuts. It was almost like you said it, like you were ashamed, like, like, you know, there were some like photos of, of you in a, like, and you're like, oh yeah, it's, there are just some photos that got out of me. You're got out of me out there. And it is naked truth. (laughs) It's a naked truth. Okay. 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 Favorite supervillain. Favorite supervillain. God, I always think about the heroes. I don't think about the villains. She's really thinking hard about this one. The Riddler. That's a villain. Is that the first villain that came to your head or is that one you really like? That's the first one, like, but, but it is one that, that I really like. I, you yeah. know, sort of everybody else was kind of a mush. And he was like, the Riddler, man. It's yeah, like, I don't think he gets enough respect, frankly. He's, I mean, he's a wordsmith, which yeah. is so badass. <laughs> okay, yeah. No, you've put some thought into this. I appreciate that. Okay, I just got a couple more. What is your favorite hot beverage? In fact, I'm sorry, I'm still on the Riddler. I think it's time to remake something with the Riddler because I don't know if I've seen a Riddler that really has the level of wordsmithery that I'm after. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's been given its due. So we need um, like a Joker version, but of the Riddlers called Riddler. And uh, yeah. But I'll play a Riddler. Okay. I love that this is where we ended up. 
Okay. Hot beverage. Hot beverage. Um, every morning I have Indian style ginger tea. It's a good way to settle your tummy first thing in the morning before you go out to get your day. I never, I didn't picture you as somebody who'd be pouring caffeine into themselves all day long. I actually, that would be a little terrifying, I think, you know, given the, the life and fire that I see <laughs> behind your eyes. Thank you. You're and welcome. You me on a lot of caffeine. <laughs> it's pretty funny. I'm a very, I'm a delicate creature, fiery. Uh, uh, I'm glad you see the fire. I but see I'm the fire. I, I, but I'm also quite delicate. So I, I, if I have too much caffeine, I just hit the ceiling and then I cr crash immediately soon after. I just heart palpitations. Yeah. And then I get really excited and talk about a lot of things really, 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 really fast. <laughs> and then. So basically you're me. Basically you on caffeine is me. We don't, we don't want that. We don't want that at all. All right. The final question. It's my daughter's favorite question. She thinks it's the most revealing. Okay. Favorite animal. Oh. Dogs, but also giraffes. <laughs> I don't know why that's funny, but it's hilarious. Um, dogs I get. Giraffes? Why? What's so great about giraffes? Uh, they're like, are you serious? What are you doing on earth? Like, um, they have these lashes. They're so beautiful and they look like, the way they move, they feel just like fairyland. Mystical. But then they're also like super weird with the way they bash each other with their necks. They're so weird, but so beautiful, but so weird. I can safely say that in the history of the YVR Screen Scene podcast, that this has been the most revealing segment of favorite things. <laughs> I'm crying a little bit. It's beautiful. <laughs> Reka, um, do you have any like what the fuck this is actually my life moments like specifically to your in relation to your to the work that you do you know and if so when do those happen because um, I'm yeah. having that right now I'm having that right now are you yes I am about that can you say something about that about about how this is a what the fuck moment. Um, yeah. I can't believe that I've just got to spend like more than an hour talking to this remarkable, fearless, beautiful artist, you know, about, about the work that she does and what moves her and what's going on, you know, in her mind, you know, as she navigates this world, like, and that it, like, it's, it's somebody that I've, I've, whose work I've long appreciated and enjoyed and championed. And like, that's so fucking cool. You know? So I, I mean, I feel very hashtag blessed that I get to have these moments, you know, so often 
now from my kitchen table, you know, in pre-COVID yeah. times and post-COVID times back in my studio, you know, it just, it's, it's so cool. It's like, what the fuck? This is actually my life. Yeah. I love that. I love that I could be, that I can be part of one of your what the fuck moments. Um, and I, and I kind of feel the same way. Um, definitely feeling so grateful for this whole conversation. You're kind of a special creature. You know that, right? Um, that's so nice. It's <laughs> true. <laughs> um, the, the realness of this conversation is so good for my soul. And I think it's what the world needs more of. So thank you for being you and doing this. Thank you, Reka. Reka Sharma, thank you so much for today. My gosh, I'm going to have a good cry after this episode, I think, because it's been just so much emotion is just sitting like right beneath my skin right now. Um, where can our fans find you, follow you, celebrate you, see photos, photos of you with donuts on the social media? Apparently there's a whole thing I've missed. It's... <laughs> It's the Reka Sharma on both the Twitters and the Instagrams. And um, yeah, that's oh, it. Right, because there's another very prominent Reka Sharma uh, in India who is a litigator, right? Yes. <laughs> yeah, she's doing some amazing work and apparently pissing off a lot of Indian men. Yes! Yes! <laughs> yes! Super happy about that. Piss yeah. them off! Yeah, I mean, it's uh, some of the cases that she's involved in include, you know, some incredibly severely violent um, rapes. Um, yeah. You know, it's it's. Uh, I it was. I read up a little bit on her as well when I was, you know, doing doing some reading up on you, and I'm like, damn, like people who hold this name, pretty fucking rad. Um, so thank you. So that's the Reka Sharma. Um, on all the social medias, Instagram, Twitter. Do, do you, uh, what, what do the kids call it? Do you do the TikTok? Are you on the TikTok? I'm not on the TikTok. I, I think I, you could. I thought about it. I think yeah. I might do it at some point. Right now, it just feels like too much social media, but we'll yeah. see what happens. The donuts, though, I think that that could be a place where your interests could really, you know, align and, and make something new. All right. I'm going to go, I'm going to have my good cry and then just like have a remarkable, amazing oh, day because this has been amazing. What? To tell you about my next gig. Holy shit. I didn't ask about your next gig. Did I? What's it? Well, you said that you were making, you were going to be doing a film, but I was like, okay, maybe she can't talk about it yet. Cause often well, I can't people say a lot, but I feel like I should at least tell you. Yeah, please do. As, please do. As another woman of color that this is my first time of being number one on the call sheet. I'm the star of this little movie and it's a Christmas movie. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that's happening. I don't, I can't tell you where it's gonna come out or whatever, but it's been amazing. I even got to have my say on who my leading man is. It's been <gasps> incredibly empowering. I'm I'm story consultant on it as well. Um, oh my God. Yeah. Gods. That's amazing. A, you come of, back. You come back and tell us all about it, okay? Yeah, I will. I will. But 
that's something exciting to look forward to and a good uh what the fuck moment a little brown girl yeah so a total oh my god when this producer called me and was like would you like to star would you consider starring in a christmas movie i was like did you call the wrong number what's going on <laughs> what's going on i will point out that um another little brown girl is becoming the vice president of the united states officially tomorrow it's a damn good time to be a brown girl finally taking the power that we we deserve yeah. like everybody else beautiful okay you come back i'm gonna thank you i'm gonna thank all of our listeners please like and subscribe you can leave us a review five stars no less you can find us at www.yvrscreenson.com you can follow us on twitter and facebook and instagram and not tiktok that is not for me at yvr screen scene um the yvr screen scene podcast is hosted and executive produced by me Sabrina Firminger, Sabrina Ronnie Mara Firminger. And it's yeah. edited by Simon Firminger. Special thanks to Mariana Firminger for recording our Patreon ad and to Paul Firminger for technical support. We are a family business. We gotta even get even more family members involved. Um, and today, not Firminger Devilly for the original music. YVR Screen Scene is a division of Fish Flight Entertainment. Join us next time for another deep dive into Vancouver's dynamic, dynamic film and television scene. And cut! This ad begins with a story about an important but largely forgotten piece of Hollywood North history, the fish flight. In the 1980s, the fish flight was an early morning flight from Vancouver that delivered fresh fish to Los Angeles before the start of the business day. These were the early days of Hollywood North, before digital deliveries and fast transfer speeds, and the pioneers of the Vancouver film industry began loading up the fish flight with film reels so Hollywood execs could review the footage shot on the previous day. The fish flight was also one of the building blocks of the visual effects and animation mecca that is present-day Vancouver. And Fish Flight Entertainment builds on this legacy. Fish Flight Entertainment serves the games, film, and television industries. We remember the days of the fish flight and attack our projects with the same passion as those pioneering days of yore. We believe in jumping off the cliff and building our wings on the way down. And who knows? That old fish with improvised wings may even fly. Learn more about Fish Flight Entertainment at fishflightentertainment.com. That's fishflightentertainment.com.